Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heest. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heest, and as always, we are here to become better habitat managers. I want to thank you listeners for tuning in once again. We are back uh, about halfway through our deer season here. And I am still buckless, guys. Actually, I'm deerless. I haven't uh, been able to put a deer down yet, but I've been kind of selective, so still a lot of season left, and hopefully that doesn't bite me. Um, there have been some opportunities, but you know, you'll hear more about that in some upcoming podcasts. Today we have Dale Wallace from 5-2 Outdoors on the line. Dale is a regular habitat manager like the rest of us. Uh, he owns some property in southwestern Michigan near the Indiana border. Uh, we talk about things like only hunting half of your property, keeping one half as a sanctuary, uh, a DIY electric scooter. You know, you see all those electric bikes these days. Well, Dale kind of made one. We'll hear about that and how it helps him access his property undetected. Uh, I don't know if ever, any of you have ever heard of Paul Knox. He's uh, also gone by the name of Doubletree on some forums back in the day. Quite the food plot knowledge from that guy. We talk about some of his subjects and seed mixes on this podcast here. We talk about Craig Harper's new book. Uh, we also cover some trail camera monitoring and the Cuddy Link system. So, guys, I hope uh, you stay tuned for this great episode here. We're going to get right into it in just a minute. I want to thank our sponsors. We have HuntWise. Now, this HuntWise app has been a huge help for me in terms of knowing property ownership. I've used it a lot when I went to Iowa just uh, about a week and a half ago, and also for northern Michigan state land 
rifle season opener just this past weekend. It was a very helpful app. I have the pro version of HuntWise, and it's actually more updated than um, some other hunting apps out there that are pretty popular in terms of property ownership and mapping. I was comparing it to my buddy's app when we were up there having a few pops, and uh, we learned that this app, the, the mapping features in terms of the ownership are definitely uh, brand spanking new. So check out HuntWise.com, guys. HuntWise at the App Store, and uh, you know, give it a shot. They also have a bunch of other stuff on there that we'll, you know, we'll get into more later. I'd also like to thank Five Two Outdoors for uh, sponsoring the podcast. We, like I said, we're talking to Dale tonight from Five Two, and uh, we're going to hear about his business down there, some of the cool blinds, and uh, you know, Brian and I are looking to get in some of these blinds here set up over this, you know, this next winter and summer, so we can uh, have them ready for hunting season this coming fall. He also is a Packer Max dealer and has a special deal at the end of this episode. So be, so be sure to listen to the whole episode so you can hear the deal Dale has on the Packer Max called the Packers. Lastly, I would like to thank Killer Food Plots and Packer Max for supporting the Habitat Podcast. Thank you, guys. Now, if anybody hasn't heard of the Habitat Podcast before, all of our episodes are on HabitatPodcast.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Wherever you can listen to a podcast, you'll hear us. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, so be sure to check us out there. And uh, if you're having a good season shooting some deer or uh, some rabbits or, you know, even have some feedback, let us know. Hit us up online. We'd love to hear from you guys. And, and uh, we, you know, we love it that you follow along. So thanks so much for tuning in once again. Now let's get right back into it with Dale Wallace from 5-2 Outdoors. All right, everybody, back with another episode. We have... My co-host Brian Hallbly on the line and Dale Wallace from Five Two Outdoors, one of our sponsors on with us tonight. Sponsor and friend. How you doing, Dale? Yes. Pretty good. How are you guys? Doing well. Doing great. Well, Brian's doing great. I think uh at least greater than, than I am. He's got the freezer starting to fill up already over there, don't you be? Yeah. It's getting towards the top here. I'm gonna have to uh Maybe make some room in the second one here shortly, hopefully. <laughs> awesome, man. Do you want to give us a little uh, cap on your Montana trip before we get rolling with Dale? Sure. Yeah, I had the chance to draw a uh, Unit 570 tag in Montana for non-resident antelope. I've got a good friend, uh, John, that lives in Bozeman. I've hunted with him several times. He's uh, really good at finding the public spots and the they have what's called a block management. It's it's private ranches, but it's semi-open to the public. You still have to get written permission and sign in every morning before you go out there. But uh, they have some great ranches for us. They, they kicked our butts for a couple of days, but then uh, on the third day, we found a group that was very stockable and some rolling terrain and some wheat fields and uh, crawled about 50 yards and some prairie grass and got up on a knoll and Made a 300-yard shot on a pretty decent buck for my first one, so pretty excited about it. Wow, congratulations, buddy. 300 is a poke. Nice job. Thank you. Appreciate it. Nice shot. Thanks. What gun were you shooting? Are you shooting your, your dad's old gun? No, I ended up using um, John's Creedmoor 6.5. Ooh, those uh, things are wicked from what I've heard. Yeah. For the, the first couple of days, we weren't even getting within, you know, 500 yards. And whenever oh. I got that chance at the stock, I didn't want 
because I was comfortable shooting out the, you know, three was probably my maximum with my 30 out six. So I, I didn't want to, you know, blow the last couple chances that I might have that week. So John says, well, I got this thing, and he's got the, the uh, Vortex scope with the turrets on it. And yep. He's he's accurate out to 700 yards with it, so. Good night. So I might take you up on that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So last question uh, that I have, at least for now, how's antelope taste? I've never had it. I haven't made any yet. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I didn't know if. uh, Just got the coolers emptied and got the freezers filled up, and hopefully I'll get to preparing some stuff. Just uh, had my first year jerky of the year from my doe, so put the antelope on the back burner for a couple of days. Well, you are uh, two uh, animals down ahead of me. Dale, you got anything down yet this year? Uh, I got a doe. Oh, yeah, I knew that. The doe, yeah. yep. Yep, I shot off the ground, so. That's pretty neat. Yeah, did a little did a little stock and stuff. I, um, I tried it. Uh, Friday in the rain, you know, I watched, I got a back porch, stone porch, I can watch my back field and stuff, my early succession in the orchard and stuff, and I tried it that Friday and set an hour and a half, and we in a long sleeve t-shirt in the rain, got soaking wet, and Tuesday, um, I got home late and didn't have time to get out there, and six o'clock, I'm on the back porch looking, and there was two does coming through, so I tried it, I took off Running out my front yard with, on my front door with my khaki pants on and a T-shirt and ran in and threw on a camouflage T-shirt or a long sleeve shirt, which ended up being on backwards when I grabbed my bowl and took off. And I got a set of uh, a row of arborvitums or vitaes or whatever. And I stood there and watched them for probably about half hour. And figuring these, when they usually come up, they turn to the north and go to uh, my big food plot. And... So she, the three of them were standing there, like trying to figure out who's going to step out first. And the one did, and but she turned left and went to my two track. And I heard it ran down the other end and I peeked around the corner and she stood there at 20 yards. So I knelt down and stretched out as far as I could. And I got lucky and she only went a couple hundred yards. And so. Nice. Uh, yeah. It was first time I ever shot, yeah, first time I ever shot a deer off the ground, so. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for the update there, boys. It seems like uh, guys are both netting out pretty well for October here. Um, I'm going to do my best to hopefully catch up here real soon. Uh, But for tonight's discussion, we want to talk with Dale. I want to hear about your your habitat management. I know you manage a piece over there that you live on. I want to hear about your background, where you're from what you do, all that good stuff like we normally like to start these things out. Would you mind jumping into that for us? Oh, yeah. Um, I grew up in uh, Otsego, Michigan, and uh, I didn't really do any hunting. Um, I, I did fished a lot growing up, and then uh, my brother, I think I was 12, my brother gave me a 12-gauge shotgun to get ready to go deer hunting, and I shot that, and I'm like... I don't like that. That hurt too bad. And, uh, yeah, it was, I looked at him and he told me to do it again. I'm like, nope. And I gave it back to him and I kind of, you know, stayed away and just kept doing a little bit of fishing and stuff and, uh, kept on, um, 
you know, playing around. And I didn't get into hunting until I was, I think, about 24. I started bow hunting. And I just, you know, bow hunting got into got into the blood. And I even bow hunted during gun season. Um, I used to go up to uh, my in-laws had a cottage on up in Benzie County, and their cottage is right across from uh, the Sleeping Bear National Forest. So I used to take a week off and uh, right around 1st of November and go up there for a week by myself. And, and you know, that was before the APRs. So that was a little bit different of hunting, you know, what is there, 25,000 acres? So, and then uh, that's when I was an electrician. And then... Uh, what, 2006, my wife and I um, became Little Caesar Pizza franchisees, and now we own six. So, oh, nice. and then uh, I started uh, a fine two outdoors business selling some hunting blinds and the Packer Max, and and then this spring we got some food plot feed coming out. So, okay, yeah. So, and then uh, I bought a lived in Indiana um, for the Little Caesar stuff, and then we bought, I built, I bought some prop, 52 acres up on, uh, in Jones, and then we, in, I think, 2009, and then we, um, I built a house in 16, and then, uh, I've been doing Habitat, I don't know, since, well, I had, um, I think, I, my father-in-law told me about Tony LaPratt, and I had him out. And he kind of got me started on some stuff. And then uh, I came across, what, um, Double Tree, or, yeah, Double Tree, Paul Knox, and followed him, I don't know, I mean, for hours and hours on end, reading his blog or whatever, you know, and uh, what's that, Whitetail, iowawhitetails.com. Yep. And then I had, uh, you know, find a, oh, uh, 110, 120 crab apple trees. Um, I planted, you know, I think 2,000 sets of uh, pompous grass. It's, wow. You know, for okay. screens and stuff. I mean, I got 40 some trees of orchards, you know, apples and pears and um, stuff. So, yeah, I planted, I don't know, I think about 800 pine trees. Um, so, yeah, it's been, you know, I had uh, Jeff Sturgis out in 2000, January of 14, kind of went through, and he kind of, you know, went a diff- about the same direction as Tony did, but a little bit more on food plots and getting deer travel routes and a little bit more. Okay. And, uh, you know, I made trails through my property, um, changed the food plots up. He had me clear out. Oh, in the back, I had it, had, I had it logged in 2010. And then he came in 14 and wanted me to put a food plot about an acre and a half way in the back. So I cut down every other about 90-some trees that were left. And about two years later, I finally had a, a food plot after I had a excavator and a bulldozer come and get stumps out. And so now I have an acre and a half food plot. About five eight, they're about five eighths of a mile apart, one in the way back and one up front. So, and then basically uh, the whole middle of my property is bedding and just travel corridors, you know, from the you know the bedding in the middle and the trails on the north and south side, and they just travel back and forth. 
And so, and how big was your property again? It's 52 acres. Okay. It's our long. It's long like a bowling alley. It's only like 700 feet wide, and you know, just almost three quarters mile deep. Yeah, yeah. My property so, is similar in terms of long and narrow, so I understand the pros and cons to that. Um, and you said you've. I mean, it sounds like you've been working on it for what about you say 2009, 10 years now. You've been doing habitat work out there. Yeah, about 2010, I pretty much started, okay. you know, learn and, you know, and it's, I mean, every every year it's something different. You know, you're sitting yeah. in your tree stand and you see, you know, something that needs to be done over here or this tree stand needs to be done. So it's, it's a constant upgrading, I guess. I mean, constant change. Yeah, never, you can never leave right. anything the same, so. Right, right. Yeah, I know when I was out there earlier this summer, we took the tour in your uh, in your buggy there, the Ranger or whatever, and uh, you, you have a lot more topography going on on your 52 than than I have, or I think that Brian has on, on both of our places. <laughs> and you got some help. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a little tricky. I mean, I had um, Jake Ellinger out this spring to look at it, and, see. you know, he gave me some tips and stuff to see. As I started out, and my, you know, pretty flat, and I dropped down. Um, yeah, I guess let's, let's maybe explain how that works. Up front, when you first pull in, long and yep. narrow, you have, like, your, your house and and your orchards and some fields, right? I guess maybe give us a, a quick description from the front to the back of the property. Yeah, so you pull in, I got my house, and then I got a pole barn that has my scent-free room and a shower and everything in, so I take a shower and stuff, and then right after that I have... Um, my little acre and half orchard, and then going down this old field, about two acres, and then it turns into woods. Um, the thing is, on my property in the in middle of the south, middle of it back on the south side, I have a it start it's a swamp, and then it's a pond. And my neighbor on the south side owns part of that pond, so I only have one access in to the back of my property. Um, I start on the south side, and once I get into the woods, I go all the way to my north side to get around the swamp. And then once I get halfway back, I can go, I got a trail on either side that takes me back. But I go, um, let's see, the first hill is about 80 foot, and then I go right right back down about um, 60 foot. It goes drops down on both sides of a big old valley. Or, and then it goes right back up to an, about a 90-foot hill to get to the back. So it's hard to get across and get back there because I got a lot of deer that bed right on the on the like the military cross, you know, and just that little ledge right there before the the back of the um, the last hill. So then it flattens out, and I have a big food plot back there. So they got that bedding and stuff, the does bed on that ridge, and then the bucks, you know, are a little step down, but they can. You know, and as soon as the leaves come off, I, it's about impossible to get back there without, you know, if I go, I got to go during dark in the morning and stay there all night, you know, all day and then come back in dark. So it's, it's, it's a tough spot to hunt. Okay, so, so you don't you don't walk back to the middle of your property <laughs> during the middle of the day when they're all bedded on there? No, you know, and it, it's weird. I mean, I, you know, the bucks I've shot, I've taken my, my ranger drove back there and I parked it halfway, you know, halfway back in the bottom of the hill and I walked up all the way back and I shot, you know, a couple bucks that way. Then 
it's like, you know, you got to watch your scent more and more. So then I was walking and I mean, I'm, I mean, for a while, you know, you're walking, I'm barely dressed to not to sweat, have all my stuff in a backpack and right. to get back there. And then I came across a, uh, um, a 2000 watt electric little scooter that I got for about 600 bucks. And I have that now with a little, uh, kids wagon for like a bike trailer behind it. Then I put my backpack in, I have a bowl holder in. So then it's a little bit quieter. I can get back. So, you know, halfway back, it'll save me some sweat. So then I can, you know, get back the rest of the way. Um, but it's, it's a challenge and I'm actually changing everything around for next spring already in my head, you know, um, trying to leave the back even alone even more and not even, even hunt it and try to bring the deer towards the front more. So it's a little bit easier to access. So. Okay. Was that a, was that a, a Jake uh, Ealinger thing there, right there? Um, no, it's just, just, I mean, what I've seen this year, um, you know. Don't need to go all the way back? Yeah, with the trail cameras I see, um, and my food plot um, in the back, um, I kind of uh, had an error. Uh, so I planted uh, annual clovers and stuff to help the soil, and I went, had to hurry up. I had a day to spray, and I mixed grabbed a bottle and took off and I was wanted two four D B and I grabbed two four D. And well that killed everything plus it leaves a a, res, a little bit of a residual. So so then when I went to lightly disc and put some brassicas in, nothing came up. So I had to hurry up and get some rye and do the polynox with the rye, the oats and stuff. So and it, it came up, but the deer are still coming up front more because I have more more food. So it's seeing them out, you know, with the trail cameras I got set up and sitting and watching from my back my back of my house and then sitting in stands, I can see the difference. And instead of hunting full 52 acres, I'm only hunting the front half, and it's, it makes life a lot easier so far. So... So, Dale, I'm uh, glad you mentioned Paul Knox. Uh, I remember he was on a forum that Jared and I used to be pretty active in, the QDMA forum. And uh, I, I think it's important to remember him and all the contributions that he's passed on through uh, what he's left us on the Internet and through some of his other uh, outlets. You want to tell a little bit about your experience with coming across Paul Knox and what you learned from him? Oh, man. <laughs> he's he's been like the most influential person on food plotting. Um, just reading, I mean, you click on his and his blog. His blog's still there. I mean, I think he passed away in fall of fourteen from I think it was Lou Gehrig's disease. I think. Um, but just his, I mean, the blog's still there. You can read. I mean, you want to know something about Blasco's? He's got 90-some pages about stuff. So, I mean, he did the trials. Um, I mean, the one that he, I love is his rye, oats, peas, radish, and clover mix. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that's one that everybody should have. I mean, I know a lot of guys do parts of something with it here in Michigan, with the, you know, up north with the sandy soil and stuff. Um but, you know, the oats and peas get ate so fast um, in the early 
and then the rye and stuff is growing, and then they'll pick at the rye all winter. And come springtime, the clover is growing, and you go mow the rye off because it's three foot tall, and you've got, you know, six to 12 inches of clover sitting there, you know, for the spring for the fawns and, you know, the does and stuff. So, but just the knowledge, I mean, and he, he didn't hold anything back. I mean, he, whatever he learned, you know, and found and saw, he wrote about it and told us. I mean, he for answered sure. questions. It was crazy. I mean, you don't see that nowadays because, you know, he did a, I mean, because I believe he was a habitat manager too, correct? Well, I know he did a lot just on his own farm, and then he ended up helping a lot of people. Okay. And, uh, but he did just the research that he did on his own property just through years of observations and, and changing things up just, Saved everybody so much legwork, and, and like you said, that mix uh, is like bulletproof for just about anywhere in the country. Plus, it improves your soil too. Oh yeah, I mean the the benefits that rye has. I mean it has well, it has some uh, what is it an allopathy to keep to suppress weeds, yeah. and its roots and stuff, and then it grows so fast it can you know block the sunlight from other weeds that grow, and so I mean you know rye. You know, it might not be the deer's favorite, but they do eat it, and it does a lot for your soil. Sure. So, but, one yeah, thing, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's all right. One thing that I liked about how he presented things was it didn't matter if you had a backpack sprayer and an ATV or if you had the biggest tractor and grain drill that you could buy. He he made it relatable for everybody in every situation, and uh, we'll have to put that link to his, his – um, blog to, uh, in the show notes here Good once idea. we get it posted for sure oh yeah i i mean i've told so many people about it i had one buddy i told and you know i said if you get time at lunch and read it you know and he called me the next day he goes dude i about got fired he goes i couldn't put the thing down he goes the next time i do it was like three hours later i'm still looking at my computer you know reading it and like it happens i mean there's so much knowledge i mean so much information in that it's crazy it and, is and, I mean, that's even like when I had uh, Jeff Sturgis come out, you know, and he talked about it. He, you know, the same mix, that rye mix. Um, you know, I basically call it the double tree mix. I mean, that's, you know, he said, do you do that? I'm like, yeah, I've been doing it for three years now. So, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I love it. I mean, I still go back to it just to pick, I mean, I don't know how many on my iPad, how many screenshots I got of stuff. I probably got over 200 pictures of screenshots of certain things that he says or do, you know, answer somebody's question, and it's it's amazing. Oh, yeah, for sure. That'd be interesting to see, uh, you know, definitely put those notes up here on on the show notes, but if you had any certain screenshots that were, you know, save some, some maybe newbies a couple hours of reading for a, I mean, they should read it all, but if there's something, you know, one or two takeaways oh, that we could share, that'd be oh, it's, too. It's a, I mean, he goes over, over um, he has so many topics. He goes, you know, has brassica topics, uh, uh, fruit trees. He has um, stuff about herbicides, every single herbicide, what they do. I mean, it's every single thing that you need for a food platter, the information's right there. You just click on, I think there's like 16 or 17 different topics. Yeah, you know, he has them all broken down by length, too, so it yeah. makes it real easy. So you don't have to spend a lot of time reading to find – you just click on the part that you're looking for at the time, which will save you a lot of 
a lot of aggravation. Yeah, and you you'll be amazed at how much information you 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 get. You start reading and you just forget about time. So well, that's awesome. I'm gonna have to uh, freshen back up on that. I read uh, some of it back on the QDMA stuff, and I I didn't read as much as as you guys did. So I want to make sure I can get back on that. Uh, between that and uh, Craig Harper's new book or a revised version, I think uh, probably a couple good spots to start for anybody who's listening. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. I just got hit. Is um, off the Iowa Whitetail forum. Okay. Yes. I'm not sure if that's the main one he has because he had a couple of them, but that that one's still up that you can go on and, and click whatever you want. But uh, yeah, we'll definitely get something shared with everybody. Cool. All right. Yeah, I just got uh, Craig Harper's revised book. This about what four days ago, five days ago. Nice. How do you like it so far? Oh. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't got into it yet. I sort of opened up. I got his old one, and, I mean, I went to – I had him. He was at – I took a deer steward, too, in Moline, Iowa, Illinois, right there on the line, and he was there, and he's – I could listen to him all day. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, he's, he's awesome. He, he has a way to – you know, how his voice, his presentation, how he talks and everything, and you can absorb so much from him. I got – one of my buddies that I met at the class, he calls me all the time and wants me to go to these little satellite, you know, things that he's doing. Um, you know, he has little classes or whatever for the QDMA. It's like yeah. a three-day class or stuff. So, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, I, I would also recommend uh, everybody check out Craig Harper's new book. Uh, you can find that online and. And he let me know when it came out, and I got it right away. And, uh, I mean, he, he had another, I think they call it like a QDMA field day up here in central Michigan. And uh, my buddy Chad Thalen, who's also been on here, he was heading up there. And I tried to get up there, but I was gone with the family over the weekend. I couldn't make it. I was pretty bummed about it because I'm not sure how often Craig, you know, comes up to Michigan. So I was bummed I missed that one. Yeah. And I I didn't get a chance either, and that's I mean if you if anybody ever has a chance, it's one person that you wanna go see or you know be a part of. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's awesome on the Paul Knox stuff. We'll be sure to get that stuff shared out. Uh, moving moving along now, um, let's hear a little bit more about your orchards. I found that pretty interesting when I showed up and spent a few hours with you there that day. You you were going nuts on trees, Dale. I love it. You know, like <laughs> I told my wife the other day, um, like I I just love growing stuff. Trees, food plots, you know, whatever. I got it going in my basement last winter with the chestnut trees, and Brian, you did too. And, and I know you're doing that, Dale. So go ahead and uh, maybe tell us why you started planting the trees you did, and then maybe how you rolled into all the chestnut stuff you got going on now. Oh, you started with crab apples first, right? Yeah. Pardon? Were your crab apples first? Is that right? Yeah, my crab. Yeah, my crab apples were first. Then were I, just, I mean, them were just two, two to three foot widths that I got, and okay. I planted them November of thirteen. And then when Jeff Sturgis came out, he's like, oh, "You got to move a whole bunch of them." So I think I moved out of one hundred ten. I think I moved eighty of them. I had to redig them back up and. Um, you know, I had cages, or no, I put cages on that winter after I moved them. Um, but I had the ground mats down, so I had to move like 80 of them. And now, I mean, it's a 
pruning them and everything taken care of them. Now they're some some are 20 foot tall. I mean, loaded with crap apples. So I mean, this there and then the chestnuts. Um, my father-in-law came down one day and threw me some the nuts and said, can, "What can you do with these?" I'm like, uh, you know. So I put them in the dirt and put them in our window and actually that was uh like thir- window 13. And it was super cold, and I came out. I didn't wasn't living on the property, and I shut off the the heat and stuff on my barn. So I winterized it, and I left these uh, chestnuts in some dirt, just regular topsoil in the windowsill. And I came out in the spring and checked on them, and they had little sprouts on them. And I'm like, what the heck? So I put them in the windowsill with a little plastic greenhouse and stuff, and seeing what they do. And um, I think I had. Seven survive, and now I'm down to four. And then, so now it's been a mission of my. I mean, my father-in-law passed away in '14, so I got to try to keep the four somehow four alive. And chestnuts are pretty; (laughs) they're tricky. I think you guys, if you guys ever planted some, I mean, they can look beautiful come October, then come springtime, they're you know they're dead. Um, So. I started trying to collect nuts, and, you know, I went up to my in-laws who only had one tree in their yard, and I found out after a year that I didn't get anything to sprout was that their tree wasn't, um, didn't, didn't get pollinated. The chestnuts looked like uh, shriveled up almonds, and I finally got a hold of somebody, and that's, he kind of clued me in on that, so then um, I bought... I, 50 of them or 60 of them um, online last year, and I started growing them, and they about six inches tall, and they started dying. Well, I found out that dampening, and they got too wet. So and, I bought some how, more. How wet is too quick. wet, real Pardon? quick, Dale? How, how wet is too wet? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, sir. what do you think about how wet is too wet? Yeah, they don't like wet feet. I mean... No, it's hard to say you're, if, if you've got any. Like I have a couple of little higher spots on my farm, and that's pushing it with 12 feet of elevation change. But I try to put them there so okay. they're not yeah. sitting in water. Okay. Oh yeah, they yeah. When they get yeah, I'm t- I'm talking when they're in the little pots. The, the nut, I mean the nuts just sprout and they're you know three inches tall. I have a little one gallon sprayer that I just mist them with and. I, you know, some would survive. I had like four or five survive and 40 of them die. I'm like, you know, what the heck? <laughs> and uh, I finally got some information and said what was going on. So I bought, able to buy some this spring that we were already sprouting. And uh, I got them going and I changed up my process. Instead of spraying them, I put them in. I got lucky a couple years ago. Um, I got a phone on Craigslist these two inch by 10 inch pots that uh orchard up in um hartford had and i went to buy a hundred of them and um i got up there and he told me if i wanted all of, what 1200 of them he'd give me them for a couple hundred dollars more so i'm like what the heck so now i have over a thousand pots of these but so they come in a little stand so i put them in a little what i end up doing i put them in a little plastic totes i can put 40 pots in one and all i do is put the water in the bottom 
of the tote so let the dirt suck it up for so the roots can go down so then we soak up so much and I did pretty well I got out of I think 50 nuts and the second time I ended up with 44 that are surviving wow um and yeah so then yeah then I move them I take them out um I move them week of Mother's Day I put them in my little tree garden behind my lean-to and um, I, I take uh, two-inch grow tubes and I put them around them. And now, right currently, there's what some are three to four foot tall, and they were, you know, nuts at this time, you know, last year. So, yeah, so it's been it's fun. I mean, I just went up to Coopersville a couple weeks ago and picked up I think over 400 nuts. Wow. So next year I I have, I have a lot to get rid of, so you guys can give me a call. <laughs> next spring and eat, you know. <laughs> well, I don't know this guy had a whole bunch of them. He had Chinese, or Chinese he had uh, European, um, Japanese, so I have quite a few different um, strains, I guess you could say. Well, I, I don't know if you want to give them to, to me. I know uh, I'll try, but I know Phil Lincoln from one of our other episodes, he, he sent some to Brian and I this year, and I want to say I got 25 to 30 of them, um, or a couple dozen, some, somewhere in there. I think I'm down to four, and <laughs> and I I was doing really good. Well, not really good. I was doing 50% wise about oh May or so, and I moved them outside, garage outside, garage outside, acclimating them. And one night, some rabbit or squirrel came in and demolished most of the rest of them so then I was down to you know five or six and a couple of those didn't make it either so I got four fencing in the backyard and, and Brian how did you end up doing with the nuts that fell sent over you probably I think I'm running about 50% yeah that makes sense it's yeah right. it's followed I got like I said I just have them on um, the the drill tubes I yeah. you know I had try that this year. Uh, four footers I cut the four footers in half and that's keeping like I said, I moved them out in middle of May, and and then I'll, they're they're going to stay there. And then, um, like I mentioned earlier, my back food plot is going to can become a chestnut orchard now. I'm just going to plant it with uh, some low clover, grown clover, and just have um, chestnut trees back there. Well, that would, I, so, I can picture the end result already. It's going to look awesome. Yeah, well, in this I, I hope. I mean, talked to the chestnut guy up in Coopersville. You know, I asked him quite a bit, and he's been doing it for 30 years, and he goes, every day is a learning experience with chestnuts. Oh, jeez. You know, <laughs> I, you know, his trees are 20 foot apart in 30 foot rows, and you know, I asked him. I said, so what do you want to do next? And if he had to do it over, he goes, I'd do 10 foot down and 20 foot rows apart. Because cause every, almost every other one dies, so then you don't have to replace them. So, gotcha. Yeah, so I got these 40, and then you know, hopefully I get close to about 300 in the spring, and, and then uh, I'll be giving you guys a call, and you guys can come pick up about a, like 50 of them and, and see what you can do. 50 chestnuts, maybe a, mm-hmm. maybe a couple new blinds, you know. Yeah. We'll see. Oh, yeah. I can get, I get, actually, I'm just getting a, a, a 29 more in either 
they just called me today, so the shipment's coming either when tomorrow or Thursday. Wow. So good for you. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's been going pretty good. Yeah, I was really close to swinging by your place on the way back from Montana, but my buddy had had three or four hunters out, and he was like, hey, would you mind taking a couple of coolers and a couple of stalls? <laughs> and next thing you knew, I was out of room for a blind. I should have just stopped and put it on top of the tonneau cover. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you could have stopped, and I would have drove, you know. Well, you're out in, what, Pennsylvania, right? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. That's not, that's, you know, a couple-hour drive. I can, you know, meet you, so... You know, yeah, I'll do anything. Sure. Yeah, like I carry what four of them, four different ones, or and they make I think eight different ones. Right. So, but okay. Yeah. Well, tell us, uh, we're going to transition real quick here to trail cameras. I want to hear about your trail camera patterning and how you determine which trails in the areas that you hunt. You know, I switched over to Cuddy Link, the you know wireless you know, with a home camera and stuff, and it's actually, you know, at first it was a struggle, but now I'm getting them down, and when in the placement of them, I mean, I got some I just leave up in certain spots just to, you know, do a count of the deer and inventory and stuff, and the other ones, you know, like when uh, Jake came out, you know, I did a couple of new bedding areas, and on the trails, I just set them up and seen what was traveling, and, you know, just get a see what's going on in that trail, you know, what time they're using it. So one of the bedding areas that was kind of weird is um, I have a entrance on, uh, on the east end, the middle, and the west end. And I found out with, I had a camera on each, each of them. There was a doe and a fawn that would only use the middle one. And then they would use the east trail in the morning, they would go in and they would come out the west end. So it's kind of, you know, you think that they would just, cause it's, it's not that big, it's a quarter acre, maybe. Um, a third, yeah, a quarter. So it's not that big, it seemed like they would just travel here and there, but it's, you know, so I kind of figured that out, so I knew, you know, I got a couple of stands up, you know, one's for morning, one for night, and thinking, you know, if a buck's coming in in the morning, um, the doe's into a bedding, and, you know, I have a shot there. So I kind of, you know, keep moving around a little bit just to get to know the travel routes. And then hopefully my plan comes together, which, you know, it doesn't seem like it works all the time, but it's a shot. Sure. But, yeah, it, it's just, uh, you know, you're, it, it was, it really, I don't even know how to, I don't understand it. And that travel pattern with them, them does and the bucks and stuff all summer, you know, how they travel, how they moved in and out. I mean, that's that. If, um, Jared, if you remember, that's the first one to the right when you, you first got in the woods, that little. Yep. Um, and it's not that big. I mean, you can see. What, that trail? Two, two tracks to the swamp and stuff. You can see, yeah. but just how they moved, it was weird. Well, that's what. That's what was making me want to talk about this topic is, is you were you're paying such close attention to them that you were ruling out different trails that weren't being used, or that maybe the, the target deer wasn't using, which is interesting to me, right? So you have these travel corridors that you've cut through your property that go from the bedding up towards your food trees up front, and you're hunting in between Correct. like like most people do, um, but you were using these cutty links day by day. 
to say, all right, well, he's using this trail or he's using that trail. Not just like he's coming through this area or maybe I'll check the camera next week, Saturday, and he went through on a Tuesday. You're too far behind at that point uh, most of the Correct. time. So the fact that you're keeping up the current current data going in there that next day, I mean, that's the, like that's the stuff I like talking about right there. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, you get the pictures of them, and, I mean, before, the only thing I do, it sounds weird, is before I look at the camera, I'm saying, okay, I try to think if, you know, I look at the camera when I come back in from hunting, I get in, and it's, or if I didn't hunt that night, something happened, I always say, okay, the wind was from the west, I'm going to sit and just stay in here before I even look at the camera. So I don't want to look at a camera and say, man, he just walked past my stand. Right. Um, because sometimes you you know there's a lot of times the one you know buck I've been chasing the last two years I mean I'm sitting in a stand and he walks by another one and then there's no way I could sit in that stand because he was directly downwind of me so there was no you know sneaking in and getting done because when he's walking I mean he's directly downwind so that's one thing I do but it is you know you can get a pattern of them pretty good but then you know like tonight you know i was out there and my target buck was 80 yards away and i was supposed to walk the you know the trail that he's walked over and over and over and he came in you know walked the trail for 20 feet or so and started angling across into a, the dull bedding area across on the edge of the swamp he cut me off at 60 yards you know and then there was two other bucks that came in and they walked the trail just like you know, they he was supposed to. So they have a mind of their own. Right. Um, you don't understand it, but yeah, it, it, it helps. I mean, the more you can check your cameras every day, and then I got these, the cutting links, and it's it's a struggle with the batteries and the, the solar power and stuff. Um, but overall, it helps. I mean, just to know, like I said, this year. All my movement is up front. Um, I mean, the best hunting I've had in the 10 years or 9 years I've lived here has always been in the back of my property. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's and that's where I've hunted all the time. I mean, you know, that's when thing was Sunday morning. Um, I looked at my camera and on one of my my one spot, all of a sudden there was like I couldn't see anything. All I could see was uh, leaves and everything. So I drove back there and two big old oak trees fell in the wind. And it blocked two of my stands, the travel corridors. I mean, yeah. you know, so I had, you know, luckily I saw that on camera and I got up there and, you know, a couple hours later I was done, cleared it out, and got the heck out of there and stuff. But, you know, the the big buck I've been chasing, I haven't had one picture of him on the back half of my property in two years. Interesting. Mm. Okay. You know, so it does help. I mean, yeah, of course. I, I mean, do you guys use any kind of... Excel file or anything, you know, kind of keep track of stuff or, I mean, I've looked into some, but I've never found anything that I could do all the time. You know, I just save a picture and and hopefully, you know, remember in my head where they've been traveling. Yeah, I haven't used any software per se. I try to keep track of uh, uh, weather, historical weather data, like why was that buck there? When this picture was taken, then I'll go back and look at weather underground and say, okay, this was an east wind, and I'll try, I'll sort of 
keep notes on that stuff, but I've never used anything like the Deer Lab or okay. any other software like that. Yeah, you you do about the same as I do, and you get a you know you try to look and and see. It's a lot easier with me when I you know I can pull my cameras in the morning and I can pull them at night, you know, um, and and go through that. It's a little bit easier. Sure. And I, I mean, I got I think 15 cameras out, you know. So uh, I think that that Deer Lab. I used that with a, a free trial, I don't know, two years ago, and and I, I can see the the use behind it. It, it kind of sure it kind of spreadsheets it for you, which is nice um, for someone who may not have a lot of time or maybe not you know too focused on the real real details. Um, maybe not like a real detailed person, but uh, kind of like me. But uh, I <laughs> I uh, I liked it and. And I should I should start using that or something different because I know guys who a lot of these guys who are successful uh, year after year consistently have journals you know like Jake um, I mean I, and just keep everything written down or a spreadsheet would be would be easy to do you've got to do it but I I do right. what Brian does I'm on Weather Underground right now actually um, and and I'll look at patterns from last year when I saw a buck on his feet and. And sure enough, uh, Brian, we talked about this in the last episode or two, I don't remember, but I was going out hunting with my daughter for the first time, and it was about one year exactly where we, I had some bucks on their feet early. It was like October 14th or 16th or something, and it was like 40-mile-an-hour winds. Um, didn't look like a great day of hunting, but we got out there, and sure enough, there were, we were climbing up the ladder into the blind, and there's a nice real nice Michigan two-year-old eating out in the food plot, and we saw, I think, like five bucks and, and three does that night, so there's something to it. I mean, if, if you can keep that journal or that spreadsheet, and you know how to work Excel a little bit, and you can manipulate that data around, it should it should be some eye-opening information. I mean, that's what data is, right? If, if you can For sure. read it and oh, yeah. manipulate it. and, and I think uh, a lot of it is, know. like, you know, Brian said, I mean, if you see a deer travel and it's you know you, I mean if the the you know the direction of the wind and you know maybe the weather you know just just a little stuff to you know so you can put it you know by stand number four or whatever you know he's coming through and you know he's coming through in a northwest wind well I can't hunt northwest wind because it's blowing right into the doe bedding area so you know so it's kind of you know and it's, it's if he's only traveling by that stand on the northwest wind, well, you got to move your stand, or you know, or hopefully he, you know, changes his pattern up. I guess. So exactly. That's a, that's, that's a big thing. Well, I'd be curious to talk to you uh, after season to see if your strategy on the cameras changes at all, or um, or anything like that. I know my buddy Corey Francis. We've had him on here. I think he was episode thirty-nine, maybe. I, I don't recall. Uh, he uses the cutting links as well. He's got a bunch of them out there, and I know they make them now to where they send them to your email, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I, I always thought you had yep. to go check one camera, but um, I'm, I'm behind the times on that. I, I used a couple <laughs> covert cell cameras for me. Yeah, but. I got them all sitting on the back of my in, the, in my window on my back porch, and I got two home cameras, so okay. I got eight cameras. I think seven or seven on one and eight on another one. On, you know, different channels. Oh, um, really? Okay. Because they can hold, I think, 15. They can hold 15 or 16. I can't remember, but um, I bought oh, some off. 
what Dan, the one, somebody on that we found, I think he's a mutual friend of our, oh, everybody's, so. Kyle Chandler? Yeah, Dan, you know, you know, about his. He's a good dude. You know, so, yeah, it's, it's, it is, I mean, you gotta pay attention, I mean, you, just because you get a trail camera picture of a deer, and so I gotta go in and hunt it, well, you don't know what the wind direction was, or, um, you know, you, you could totally, you know, sit there for no reason. Sure, so, that, that's a great point. Last night, um, my my culvert was sending me pictures on the edge of my food plot right over a, a mock scrape. I hung a vine there, uh, put some buck fever synthetics on there, and hung the camera kind of where I could watch that in my food plot. And I was sending to my buddy, to Brian and Al, and uh, here comes the next little late point. He goes and hits the scrape. He starts eating the food plot. I'm like, this is awesome. And then I look at the weather, and it's on the opposite wind for that stand. So I, there's no way I could have even, I'd have been screwed. And right, and if you didn't didn't pay attention to it, and you, you know, every time that same direction of wind, and he came out, you know, and if you didn't pay attention to that, yep. you're sitting on a not, you know, the wrong wind that he usually travels. So, you know, that's, you know, I took the chance tonight on the one, you know, I kind of pushed the envelope a little bit with right. a, I had a little bit of a northwest wind, but he was still you know, out of my set stream pretty good, but tomorrow is going to be, you know, I'm going to get down close to a scrape with a saddle set up and hopefully, nice. you know, get a little bit closer to him and so he won't know there's an old tree stand sitting there, so. But. Well, that's a perfect transition, Dale. I was uh, wanting to see how you're, you're liking the saddle, how long you've been hunting in it, um, what your thoughts are so far. I know when I was there, you had a couple of interesting platform ideas, and, and mine hadn't arrived yet, so I I hadn't known anything about it then. And Brian and I are both hunting out of the same kind, so I want to hear, uh, you know, your thoughts, and any tips and tricks you've learned so far this year. Um, no, go ahead. Yeah, I've, I've, I've only hunted, I think, four times. The first time was... An experience. I mean, I'm just, I got a practice little platform. I got in, you know, three foot off the ground and, you know, playing around that a little bit different. And then when you get, you know, 20 feet up in the tree and um, you're sitting there for, you know, two, three, four hours, you you find out real fast where your tether has to be. You know, mine was up on my forehead. Now it's all the way down to my chin. Okay. And, you know, it relieves the pinching on your hips. Yeah. Um, after I changed that, you know, um, it's still, you know, with a little platform. I got the one I I have a uh, the Predator. I I used that three times, and it's small and it's it's a lot to get used to, especially with the, you know, you get your rubber boots on and um, there's not a lot of room. It's it's stable, um, but I found out that you know on my private land. I can put a screw and stuff, and basically I, I kind of think about it if you're sitting on a um, motorcycle and you see some of them guys ride their, and their legs are straight out, yeah. you know, on their their foot pegs or whatever, that's what I I did, and I had a branch on one tree, so that's what, re, you know, so I put two screw and stuff on each side, so then when I, especially on my, my strong side, on my left side, I kind of put my foot there, so and then I can swing around with it more. You kind of brace it more, um, and right. then, I mean, I got 
it's pretty comfortable. I mean, I got to it where I just, you know, lower it down a little bit. And I can sit in it and I turn sideways with my side, my right side or left side on the tree. And I just sit there and, you know, basically watch in that way. Um, but it is, I like it. I'm actually, I think I have 15 stands up and I'm going to change most of them all to saddle setups, which... Nice. Um, yeah. Um, I, I actually, I made a platform um, out of the Hawk, the Hawk tree, tree seat. Um, they're basically made to just, you know, sit on for a turkey hunt or whatever, you know, so you can sit on it with your feet on the ground. Yeah, um, I saw this. I actually sent yeah. a link to Jared and said this might work for a platform. You know, I did, I, I did some modification. I took all the... I took the bolts out and put grade eight um, bolts in on the on the flip seat part, and then um, I put three eighths um, chain. Uh, you know, unless you got to link their chain links, I guess, with a little the nut on them. So you so you slide that in, and then I bought a two inch ratchet strap, and that's how I secure it to the tree. And once I put the two inch ratchet strap on it, it doesn't move. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I mean, I tried one interest strap, and the one, you know, it, the little cheap one that comes with it, it's, you know, it basically is not going to hold a lot of weight. So, I'm, like I said, I moved it up to one inch, and that that just had too much play in it. But once I put that two inch on, it doesn't move. And I got five of them up. Okay. Yeah, yeah I got five on private, you know, and then I have the climbing sticks, um, the old metal, you know, 20 footers or whatever. So, um, and then I... I have a lifeline on all mine still too, so I put the lifeline on my my what is that my bridge, right. and then go up, um, and then I'm, I'm thinking that you can with the lifeline. You got the Prusik, um, you know the hook. I think you know that's the same as you know your tether mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, but I like the Ropeman one. You know I love them. Them make it so much easier than a Prusik knot. So right, but yeah. I mean, it is the saddle is, you know, they, I've read a lot that you got to get um, with it, your saddle body for it, you know, or something. Can't yeah, remember the saddle shape. Yeah, saddle shape. And I'm like, whatever. And then the first time I sat in it, and the second time it's like, okay. Cause I, I always sit down in my stand. I could sit, you know, four or five, six hours and never stand up. And so this was a little bit different for me standing up or you know, half standing up, and but you know, fifty percent of your weight is in your on the saddle, and some of it's on your legs. So I mean, and you don't move a lot. Um, you know, you think you you want to turn here, there, and stuff, but you really don't. Um, and it's quiet. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. It's you know, when you got the deer, you know, coming right down in front of your tree at five feet or whatever, and they're looking, you know. You're all you're you're sitting behind the tree, and they don't. I mean, you're peeking around with one eyeball looking at them, and they have no clue that you're there. So that's the that's the my favorite part. Sure. Are you running uh, the micro adjusters on your saddle? Yeah, and I haven't really figured them out too much yet. Yeah, me neither, Brian. Tell us how those work. Those adjusted that'll help. That helped me tremendously with the with the pension. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't know if I bought. Cause I bought an extra large for 
you know, when I wear my bibs and stuff. And That's the first, what I do, too. Okay. The first night, I didn't have my bibs on. I just had my pants on, and it kind of pinched. So then, but I changed the, you know, like I said, the tether height and stuff. So yeah. I haven't, you know, I in practice, and I've played around with the, I even got the, was it the back straps? Yeah. Uh, the lean, yeah. And I had that, and I'm I'm going to wait till next year to pull that out. I want to get, get used to it's just like too much stuff, you know, at once. Keep yeah, going give, on. it, give it a shot, though. That thing makes it extra okay. comfortable. Really comfortable. Okay. Yeah, I have to put it back on. I got all the little knots and, or the little pieces to attach it. It's just, you know, a little bit nervous, you know. Yeah. No, that's, but, that's interesting you say that, Brian. I fooled with it the first night in the saddle, and I ended up not using it after that. It's just like it was – too much stuff in the way. It's kind of like in the <laughs> That's way. That's right. Yeah. So I, right I untied it and I didn't wear it the rest of the weekend, but then I kind of had a sore lower back too after each night of hunting. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm oh, in yeah. the same boat trying to figure it all out. Um, do you guys ever get any sore back or sore anything? I, I never had the hip, pit, the hip pinch, but um, I, I did have a sore lower back after it, to be honest with you guys. But I think it's probably the first couple times using it is probably why. I I didn't I mean I'm old so my back hurts when I dink around and do stupid <laughs> stuff anyway so you know and I've actually tonight I sat in a, my tree stand and I I hurt more sitting in that than I did on my saddle and I hunted on my saddle what Thursday Friday Sunday you know so um, yeah and I was sitting in my tree stand at night with a cushion and stuff and I'm like man I'm sore as heck so hmm. yeah I haven't had any major pains at all i mean maybe i just lucked out but i was kind of in between sizes i probably should have got the large but i was worried about you know having too many layers on on the bottoms for the winter so i went with the extra large but the the micro adjusters really did solve that i think yeah i have to play around with mine and see and see get jared working on his and maybe he can figure it out Hey, I'm about to put it to the test for 10 days in a row, boys. I am about to do it, so I'm getting fired up. Well, now you got got to kill something in it. Yeah, seriously. All Especially I'm, where he's going. All I'm doing over here right now is killing my half bathroom, trying to get that son of a biatch done before I leave for <laughs> Iowa. Oh, you're going to Iowa for 10 days? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I don't... I, Nothing packed. I'm leaving in two days. Three days? <laughs> Three days. A lot of work to do. Got Halloween yeah, with the kids. Uh, I'm not, yeah. I got a lot to do. I would have been, uh-huh. been packed. I would have been packed like a month ago. But that's me. I'm just Yeah, weird, remember that so. detail thing I mentioned about, uh, you know, getting, you know, paying attention to detail and, and this and that? I'm still working on all that. <laughs> but... Now, I want to Let me figure it out. Yeah. I, I, hey, I will have my bow, and I will have my saddle, and I will have an arrow with a broadhead on it before I leave. I promise. That's all, that's, that's all you need. Yes, sir. Well, Dale, was there anything else you wanted to cover tonight so far? I thought it was a really good conversation. Um, I'm waiting for you to kill that buck so we can get you on a game plan episode here. Um, that'll probably be like tomorrow. I'm sure. Uh, tomorrow's supposed to rain pretty hard. Tomorrow on Fridays or tomorrow on Thursdays, pretty rough raining. Is it pretty bad? 
I was, yeah, well, I was trying to get out the sand tomorrow night. Or 80 to 90 both days, so. Yeah, that's a lot. I'm, yeah, and I don't, I don't, I can shoot, but just the part of, you know, the raining and the tracking and, yeah. you know, kind of, I don't want to, you know, if I kill something, I want to find it, so. That's a good point. Uh, I kind of stay away from the rain, and, you know, tomorrow, like I said, I'm going to go out and put a, at least one saddle set up. Um maybe two, and we're supposed to have, what, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, most of the week supposed to have a west wind, so. Yes, there was um, some snow. I got, I got snow coming, uh, I believe, Thursday, Halloween. Oh, yeah? Well, if, chances, if it snows, then that'll be perfect, but no, my luck, my uh, blinds are, the guys going to call me at 4 o'clock and say I need to deliver all these blinds, so it'll take me <laughs> three hours to unload, so I won't be able to hunt, so. Well, if anybody needs a deer blind, <laughs> he, he, here's here's the plug. Be sure to call Dale before it snows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to, like, I'm going to be, uh, what, I got a booth at the grain, the hunting time expo and uh, okay. the deer, the deer turkey one in Lansing I could just find out for. Perfect. So. Yeah, and I got, you know, I've got, well, the, actually the first the first blind that I got rid of, I, it was a fat man, which is a handicap blind. I actually donated that to the uh, state police and the DNR to put up on uh, on some state lands for handicap hunters. Very cool. That's awesome, man. So, but yeah, they got some funny names: the Fat Girl and the Java Hut and the Brick House and the Fat Man. So I mean. I think it's, you know, I get some people that complain about the name. Really? So, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was at, I was, I was at the fair oh, my, my first God. time just to try out these this booth stuff, and I had probably four four people complain and, you know, and tell me I was going to get sued. But, <laughs> yeah, there was, but the, most of them had, I mean, there was all these, you know, the couples and stuff and, the wife would say, "Honey, I mean, I'm getting the blind, taking a picture above the fat girl sign." So you know, you know, 90% of people or 95% of people had fun, yeah. You know, with the names and stuff, but you know, the society we are in now, in, no matter what. So. Yeah. Oh, but, don't yeah. get started on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But no, I got blinds. I, like I said, I got 29 coming. I got eight left. So wow. I got um, 18 of the fat girls coming. I got ten of the Java huts coming, so um, very nice. Yeah, yeah, those fat girl combos are pretty sweet looking. That's what I'm going to get a couple of those off you. Yep. Yeah, yeah I've been, I'm only, I'm down to I think three of them, three left right now. Um, I got two of the combos and and one of the actual the only one I got on display of the fat the bow hunting one. So that yeah. one's a that one's a popular. Popular one. They do a lot of all the guys. You know, they send me pictures afterwards. They play around with them so much, adding carpet and shelves, and you know, they get to do their own little thing to them in their own in their own paint jobs. And um, right. so, you know, for a couple hundred dollars more, you can you can trick it out to what you want. Well, it's so just nice because so. they're they're manageable. They're not. I don't. You know, you don't need a tractor, or a forklift. Which to a no, guy like me who doesn't have a no, tractor or a forklift, that's a, yes. kind of a big deal. No, like the what is it? The fat girls are six foot by six foot. They're ten sided, so you got ten, ten basically ten corners or pillars just for support. Because that fiberglass is only 
an eighth of an inch thick. So, I mean, I can sit on top of a fat girl and it won't do anything. I'm 200 pounds. And, you know, they're, they weigh 130 pounds. Um, so basically if you put a 10 foot platform up, you can, you know, get a couple of two by fours and have one person pulling and, and one person pushing, you know, you can get it up there pretty easy if you want to, you know, or you can put it together because it comes in half. Yeah, two halves. Um, so you're only pushing, yeah. like, what, what do you say, 130? 130 pounds. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're yeah that's a big one. That's, a, that's the fat girls that weigh 130 pounds. Yeah, see, that's, that's definitely manageable with a guy or two. Yeah. I mean. So, and, you know, they come in half, so, you know, they're only three foot um, wide, so you can get them down a trailer or whatever. Then you, once you get them in your spot, you, it takes about 40 minutes to bolt them together, put the window frames in, and they're in your way to go. So um, you're ready to ready to hunt. So well, they're nice. You have those, and you have um, Packer Max Cult of Packers, right? Yep, yep. I got them. And, yep. and where exactly are you located? In Jones, Michigan. I am. 12 miles or 10 to 12 miles east of Three Rivers, right off one, uh, 131. So I'm at the corner. Jones is M40 and M60 um, in southwest Michigan. I'm only, oh, 15 minutes from um, the toll road in Indiana. Yeah, pretty north. centrally located in terms of at least us guys up here in Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. I mean, not, not all for our listeners who are maybe a little down south, but you can probably hook them up down there because that's where these things come out of too. So, um, oh yeah, give you a call. And yeah, yeah. There's dealers. I think there's three, four of them in Wisconsin. Um, you know, I talked to one of them the other day about winter, and he kind of laughed at me and said, "Don't worry about it. I've had three foot of snow on one of mine." He goes, oh, wow. "Don't worry about it." I'm like, "Okay." So, cool. um, so yeah, they got them in Wisconsin and Southern Indiana. And but I'm about the only one in I'm still yeah I'm the only one in Michigan right now, so awesome as a man. dealer. Well, why don't you tell us um, where we can find you, get a hold of you, the deal you have running on those blinds for the podcast listeners, and uh, we'll get this wrapped up. Well, if you mention the Habitat podcast to me, I will pay your sales tax, and I will. Um, even pay it on the Packer Max, which you didn't even know about that, did you, Jared? I did not know about that. <laughs> Look at that. Um, Thanks, but no, man, if you awesome. mention Habitat Podcast to me, I'll pay your pay your sales tax. Um, um, but I have uh, my website is five two outdoors. It's f i v e the digit two outdoors dot com. I'm on same thing on Facebook, um, Instagram. Um, and Twitter, I think. Um, and you can get a hold of me. I mean, you guys want my phone number? Maybe you could list your phone number if you want. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you can. Is my phone number is five seven four two one four three five zero six. And you know, just give me a call if I don't answer. I will call you back. So, but yeah, get your uh, order in now because I'm getting them in Thursday and hopefully. Uh, I have a couple left over. I got a actually donating a, a Java Hut to the St. Joe's Pheasants Forever raffle, and then I'm donating one to the Grand Rapids Shriners Hospital thing or the Hibbley oh, yeah. Shriners. 
um, things. So that's super nice of you. You are. Uh, I can say it because I've met you. You are a stand-up guy, and uh, you're a habitat manager, just like the rest of us, a deer addict, and and just an overall good dude. So appreciate, uh, appreciate all that good stuff. I appreciate it. And next, uh, I mean, like I said, I enjoyed my time that you came out and stuff. So in you know, talking with Brian, and you know, we'll let you guys uh, know what happens if I ever catch up to my cheater buck that I nicknamed him. So, but yeah, we'll keep you informed on what goes on. Awesome, man. Well, I know you. Uh, I know you get a hold of us if you get that buck, and look forward to to hearing the story once you do. So, appreciate your time again, Dale, for coming on. Thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate it. you guys. Both have a nice evening. Thanks, right, Dale. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Thank you, Dale, once again for coming on the line tonight. We really appreciate you coming on the show and for your sponsorship and partnership and friendship here at the podcast. You're a good guy and a good habitat manager. And, guys, since uh, this episode was recorded, Dale's actually killed a real nice buck on his property. So be sure to check out the Facebook on that. We'll have the, we already shared the picture up there so you can see the bucky shoots. Good work there, buddy. I'd also like to thank our guests for tuning in once more. We really appreciate you coming back every time. And, of course, the great reviews you're leaving on iTunes. I have a couple more decals to send out. Nate, thanks for the awesome review, man. We're going to shoot you a new decal this week. If anybody else wants a free decal, just go on iTunes Habitat Podcast or find it on your podcast app and leave us a five-star review with some uh, good text below. And be sure to leave your name so I can find you. Thank you guys for that. Uh, for anybody who uh, wants to find more episodes, go to HabitatPodcast.com or check any of your podcast app. We'll be on there. I want to thank our sponsors. We have 5-2 Outdoors, the HuntWise app, Killer Food Plots, and Packer Max Cult of Packers. And last but not least, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit. MWP is throwing together a heck of a season. Uh, our buddy Adam shot a gigantic 11 point tonight which is all on film and will be on the episode soon. So be sure to check them out at michiganwhitetailpursuit.com. All right, everybody. Well, hang in there the rest of the season. Good luck. We'll be back again with another episode. And uh, thank you for tuning in as we become better habitat managers. Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6 8 Western. Mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.